I've been awarded two fellowships by the Internet Society, which is to the AFPIF and then the Internet Engineering Task Force. So I could say yes. Their work is very impactful in our communities. Isabel Odida is the director of Fontes Foundation, an NGO that addresses issues of water and sanitation, education, and youth empowerment in Uganda. Isabel shares with us her career journey, and we discuss the role of NGOs in the development of technology talent in Africa and globally. My name is Tony Yannick Kalombo and welcome to the DevBox podcast. So my mission with this podcast is to share my perspective of technology, business and creativity from the lens of some of the people that I admire. DevBox is a software-defined networking and automation company. We develop technology that allows network operators across the globe to automate their networks as well as their business operations. If a task is repeatable, automate it. Um, my role is the director for Fontes Foundation Uganda. Yes, and tell me about Fontes Foundation. Um, Fontes Foundation is an NGO that was created to provide community development and focus on areas of water and sanitation, education, and youth empowerment. So our main projects are the youth center where we do youth empowerment and we work with disadvantaged youth within Kampala. And we have a tech project called Refactory. And I think it's something you'd be very excited about because it's, um, what we do is build software engineers and get them ready for the competitive environment. I don't know if you had of ever heard of Andela. Yes, yes. Yes, Andela used to be our competitor and now we stand strong as the only player doing what Andela used to do. So we get we skill software developers and we skill them in a way that not other guys would do or we handle the technical bits, then we also take care of the soft skills, basically an all-round kind of preparation. And then on top of that, we also try to get them placed in jobs within the tech industry. That's like my favorite bit of, of the job. That's awesome, because you're based in Uganda, right? And is yeah. this just uh, based in Uganda only? Yes. So Fontes Foundation is a Norwegian NGO. So mm -hmm. our mother office is in Norway. And okay. then Uganda is the only other country that it operates at. And why Uganda? Yeah, so Norway, like, Norway is the executing arm for the organization. So most yeah. of what happens, happens here in Uganda. Mm -hmm. And why Uganda? It's because the founders were doing some work in Uganda and eventually picked up interest. And when they visited Uganda, they um, started off with water and sanitation and then went on. Obviously, they had some projects that they were working on in Congo and also in Mozambique. But why Uganda specifically? Um, Uganda is beautiful, I think. 
to work out. I would like to assume that, but anyway, the main reason why Uganda is because the founders of the organization had come to do some work here mm-hmm. and then decide eventually chose to explore. Okay. So, yeah. so the NGO is specifically focused on pretty much empowering youth in Uganda. That's the technology aspect of it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And are there other things or other aspects that the Fontes Foundation focuses on? Um, we have water and sanitation that are in the western, western central part of western part of Uganda, sorry, and mm-hmm. that's within the game reserve. So we have a game reserve called uh, we have a game reserve that covers two areas, which is a place called Katunguru and the other is called Kanungu. And uh-huh. the reason why they had they we chose the organization chose to work on that bit is because while the locals went to get water, um, they were either beaten by the animals and sometimes the water wasn't clean enough. So if you're sharing water with animals, I don't think that's good sanitation practice. So that's how the water and sanitation project got developed. And still within the same area, they started working on education right from kindergartens uh, to secondary schools and also giving students scholarships all the way to university. Those two are projects that we don't have so much focus on because they're projects that are are self-sustainable. And then the youth center, the youth center focuses on youth within central Uganda that are disadvantaged. So we get them skilled. These are youth that are probably dropped out of school or kids that are like can't afford at all to go to school or kids that are prone to drug abuse or violence uh, so we try to like reach out to the community get into the communities and get these kids and get them skilled up um, what they do at the youth center though is mostly catering related but they bring in the business aspect of it because we still also encourage them to start their own businesses after doing after learning the skill and mm-hmm. because we are also in a world where now everything is tech driven we also now yeah. bring in the tech as well so yeah so okay. it's catering the technology this is for the youth okay. then the high tech project the one i just mentioned which is refactory yeah okay talk to me a bit more now about uh, refactory the high tech project and i'm pretty sure you are probably like the brain behind it. Uh, so can you talk to me a little bit about that? Well, I'm not the brains behind it. The brains behind it were some missionaries that had a vision for um, technology. And I mean, they had a vision for skilling people with, when it comes to technology, but they had the leadership aspect that they wanted to add to it. So Refactory is more of a partnership between Fontes Foundation, uh, Laboremus, and I don't know if you've heard of Laboremus. I'm no, sure tell know. me about it. Um, Laboremus is a tech company in Uganda that's originally Norwegian. Please don't ask me why Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and Clark International University. So mm-hmm. it's a partnership of all three. And so we work to skill a software developers and just get them ready for the competitive tech 
industry in Uganda. And we're hoping that we can actually scale and go out of Uganda, considering the fact that um, we've grown quite a bit and we have so many students that are picking so much interest in it. I feel like it's trying to change the way we look at education. So we're moving out of your traditional education system and getting into one where, let's say, Python is like the most used uh, language. And yeah. this is what guys are focusing on in the rest of the world. And let's work on that. So it's basically we're working with the trends as opposed to maintaining what's happening in the traditional education system. Hmm. Okay, yeah. that's brilliant. So you, yeah. you are kind of focusing more on, on technical skills used in the workplace rather yeah. than traditional education, you know, yeah. pray and spray. Because yeah. it's a conversation that I've had with some friends that I come from the traditional education system where you go to school and then you go to university and you learn all these skills and then you go into the workplace and you get a job. But I find that, I mean, there's a common consensus that the traditional education system is a spray and pray type of uh, approach to teaching, where in a nutshell, you just dump this knowledge on kids and you hope that when they go out into the world, they're going to uh, be able to survive and to be marketable and to get jobs, whereby... Uh, you can look at it in the sense of there's now all these skills out there. You can actually learn a specialized skill and you can learn that skill, you know, from the internet. So something yeah. like Python or you yeah. could learn, get a Cisco CCNA certification. And yeah. with that, you can go to an employer and say, look, I'm CCNA qualified. And it doesn't need to look at the fact that you may have a degree or diploma and they can just hire you based on the fact that you have a CCNA qualification. So yeah. I'm guessing that's the approach, yeah? Yes, it is the approach that we're giving. And so far, so good. We've gotten a lot of applause from the industry and the different partners that we have gotten to work with. The program is supposed to be a nine months long uh, program. It starts mm -hmm. off with what we call the catalyst. Yeah. That's more like more of an introductory uh, section of it from which you can graduate still. And then from the catalyst, then we move to what we call the boot camp. And this boot camp is where things now like get really technical. Mm. And when these students get into the boot camp, we then find partners that can give us projects that they can work on so that they get into the real stuff as opposed to um, the projects that we worked. I remember the projects I worked on in uni. These were more of academic projects. There were prototypes that we were creating that will not be used by anybody. But now yeah. the beauty about refactory is that they're working on projects that are going to be used out there in the industry. So that's quite something. And for them to be able to do that in only nine months is quite good. So it's a nine month program, the refactory yeah. program. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that you now compete with Andela and you are now the only sort of uh, player in the space. Is Andela not in that space anymore? So Andela closed shop. Oh, really? Yeah. So Andela closed shop in the country. And that was, uh, I think, shortly after our lockdown. And uh, so now we have no one competing with us, which is quite great. Okay. Um, 
So yeah. can you maybe just speak, you know, so that people who are listening who may not know who Andela is, can you explain who they are? Uh, not that you're promoting them since they're no longer your competitor. <laughs> so Andela, well, Andela was or is, because I think they're still functioning, but on a very small scale, yeah? Okay. Are so they not based like, in other countries now? Because uh, I know Uganda was the biggest base. Other, yeah, they also closed shop in some other countries. But I think they maintained a few of their staff to like a few of their staff that were working on different projects. Yeah. So, okay. um, so Andela is a software tech company that had a vision. Okay. I think uh, when they just came into Uganda, their vision was to train up to uh, 10,000, I think, if I'm not mistaken, up to 10,000 developers in Africa and put them on on a competitive level with the rest of the world. As of last year, I think it had grown from the 10,000 in 10 years to, I don't know what, but that was their plan and that's what they were doing. So they would train as many developers as possible and then they would also employ them after training them and then place them in two different companies as uh, to work on their projects. So that's what Andela was doing. Okay. So you now, as the director at Fontes Foundation, what lesson can you learn from Andela? Boy, uh, <laughs> Tony, that's a very difficult question to ask me. I mm -hmm. actually have never thought about it. Well, the um, reason I'm asking that is, um, why did they close shop would be the obvious question. And once you've answered that question, why would you think, uh, what is it that they did that you can do better? I think one of the reasons why they closed shop was because their clients were losing business due mm -hmm. to COVID. And we managed to find a way of having continuity despite the whole COVID uh, situation. I'll give you a small example of what we did. We removed our classes from being physical to online. So now we're doing online learning, I mean e-learning, and we introduce blended learning. We have the students, the students perceive it quite well, we're so happy about that. The facilitators who are doing it for the first time as well were quite happy about it. And because it's technology, technology should be able to function anywhere, we've still in a way managed to find employment for um, our students. So I think it's more of persistence. And, and I also think if you're thrown a challenge, it's more of trying to find a way of working with it or find a way to basically get a solution for it and not say now we're going to end because now we've been hit by the pandemic. So mm -hmm. what can you do with the pandemic? So it's what we, we decided to look at. We sat down and, um, and decided to say, you know what, we need to have the classes continue. We then decided in May what we were going to do and the first online cohort started and so far so good. We've had um, out of the 28 that we had in that cohort, up to 80% were in attendance at all times. So okay. it was quite good. And I was happy when uh, we were having these discussions because it's experience I've had before. 
I get to do online training with the Internet Society, and yeah. um, I was happy to to be part of the conversation. Okay, that's brilliant. So, um, are we allowed to talk about your age? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are allowed to talk about my okay. age. You're younger than thirty, aren't you? No, Tony. Aren't you? Oh, geez, I thought you were like under thirty. No, so I'm, like, I'm over thirty. You are over 40. thirty. I You're am under forty. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So you're between the ages of thirty and forty. How does somebody your age, because that is pretty young, right? How does somebody your age get to this point where you are the director of a pretty big NGO in Africa? And on top of that, you're involved with AFNOG, with the Internet Society, and you're doing all this work to empower people. Where does that passion come from? And where do you get the time to do all of this? And how did you get to this stage so early in your life? Um, I think we've moved from saying only um, that the only bosses that we should have should be like 40 and above or in their 50s. We've moved from that. We've yeah. moved to, can you do it? Do you have what it takes? Are you interested? We've moved to that now. And I remember once uh, while I worked for an ISP, our CTO was, I think, the youngest ex-co member. He was about, and this is a big ISP. It was, it's the largest ISP in Uganda. And he was in his 30s. Mm. And I thought to myself, if he's CTO at his age, I mean, what can stop me from getting to where he is or even getting to further than he is? So that's one of the things that pushed me. And the fact that if... Like I say, if you have interest in something, you know you can do it, why not go for it? So that's one of the things that really pushed me. And that's why at this age, I am where I am. And also when it comes to the empowerment beats, one of the reasons why I'm very passionate about it is because I just said ISP. I used to work at MTN Uganda. And oh, yeah. the first team I was placed in as a systems administrator was quite the team they they were always willing to help willing to uh, teach you and see you grow and I thought what a team and just a year after that I attended my first AFNOG meeting my first mm -hmm. yeah then we didn't have the African Internet Summit then it was AFNOG and AFRINIC meetings yeah and that was just a year after I had joined and the beauty about AFNOC is you have players in the industry doing the knowledge transfer, doing the instructing, mm -hmm. the training. And I think the best people to get any skilling from are people who are actually involved uh, and actually doing this kind of work in the industry. So that's where it all started for me, really. Okay. You pretty much have touched on observing somebody who was at a certain level that you admired and you affirmed to yourself that you can also get there. Yeah. Um, is there a plan or a path that you had set for yourself to getting there? Yes. After a whole nine years and seven months 
at MTN, I decided it was time. I felt like I had exhausted everything that I had learned there. Mm -hmm. And before I even left, I started getting myself into different fellowships, uh, leadership fellowships, but within tech, I attended the IETF. I'm a fellow for the IETF. I had just also started doing my train, doing the online training for the Internet Society. And I had also already started teaching for AFNOG. These were like foundations I had laid out, I'd say to lay out for myself. And after that, I was like, okay, nine years, seven months, I think it's time to move on. So I decided to leave MTN at the end of 2017. And mm. um, I took a break to think. Yeah. <laughs> I took a break of uh, six months break, but the six months didn't end because then I got two offers. And it was from these two offers that I chose the path that I wanted to go. Great, and what path was that? And that was community development and impact. Great. And, so, and yeah. is that something that taking the time off allowed to get, give you a sense of clarity about what you wanted to do? Or did yeah. it just happen that the opportunities came your way? A little bit of both, really. I always knew where I wanted to land was in an environment where we're creating impact. Mm -hmm. I still wanted to like keep within that tech space, but I wasn't so sure of where I was going to start. So the thinking, so while I was still doing the thinking is when the opportunity showed itself. Yeah. Okay. So. That's brilliant. So is technology something that you've always wanted to do as a child? How did you end up in technology? You know how the click of something triggers something, mm -hmm. the click of a button triggers something and just a command also triggers either something small or something big. That was yeah. very fascinating for me. I was like, mm -hmm. wow, this seems so cool. I think I would like to be one of the brains behind how this all works out. I was very lucky. I had my dad, for some reason, I have very uh, liberal parents. Okay. And yeah, my dad used to be an engineer but you know, okay. one of them old school engineers, like railway engineers. Oh. Um, so I think the fact that it had what I, when I mentioned it, it had technology in it. He was, he, there was no argument whatsoever. And my older brothers had already pursued careers in technology as well. So it made the conversation much easier. It made my decision also much, much easier. And they actually even chose certain things for me. Like right after high school, they were like, they say to my dad, they should enroll me in this college where they did software development and stuff. I actually studied a higher diploma in software engineering. And I had started before uni, before the university started. And then when university started, I was like, gosh, I'm enjoying this. Can I do both? And my dad is like, sure, you can do both. So I switched my classes and I went to university during the day and I went to this college in the evenings. So while I had planned for an advanced diploma, which is three years, I ended up doing two years, but uh, it was quite fulfilling. You touched on, on, on uh, your work with the Internet Society, but um, before you get there, the fact that you, you had the foresight to move your courses to a virtual platform and, and you actually had attendance, 
I'm curious, was internet connectivity not a barrier? And also maybe, you know, there's a perception that there isn't much internet coverage in Africa and there isn't access to computers or uh, internet connected devices. So is that a problem that you experienced? For some, yes. Some students had internet connectivity issues and I'm glad it was just the minority, you know, of the class that had internet con connectivity issues. Mm. But Tony, I'm happy to say that we've evolved. <laughs> I mean, we have evolved. Uh, internet connectivity is not so much of a big problem now. I think our infrastructure has really grown. Africa is doing well, I'd like to say. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's good to yeah. know. And yeah, I, I love that because I guess you first of all are working for a non-government organization yeah. and you're also a technology person who's involved in the network operators group globally. So you kind of really know the internet better than most. Uh, yeah. and, and you are also involved in developing talent and skills. Uh, amongst other things in Africa. So it's good to hear from someone who's actually involved what the reality is versus what the perceived reality is. Uh, so yeah, first of all, congratulations. I think that that's amazing, the work that you guys are doing. And listening to you, I can tell that you have thought out uh, your approach and you are actually impactful in how you're applying yourself. So that's amazing. That's really good. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Awesome. So you have been involved with the Internet Society. What is the Internet Society? The Internet Society is an organization that's been created to support and promote internet development throughout the world. And mm -hmm. what I do for the Internet Society is just a small bit of it. And the area where I come in is capacity development which the Internet Society has been so big on. And I think that, I think their work when it comes to capacity development has been quite good. So I get to teach in one of their online, two of their online courses, which is yeah. uh, Introduction to Network Operations and Network Monitoring and Management. Okay. Before you delve into Network Monitoring and Management, yeah. And uh, what was that network operations? Yeah. Yeah. Can you just please elaborate what capacity development is and what it entails? Capacity building. Yeah. Um, yeah. So capacity building is basically equipping or getting people the right skill or mm -hmm. getting them the right knowledge and uh, experience they would require for, I could say anything. Capacity building doesn't stop at just technology, which is the place I've seen them um, describe it the most, but it happens mm. everywhere. What we're doing with refractory is capacity yeah. building. What yeah. we are doing at uh, our youth center is capacity building. Mm. What I do with AFNOG, uh, the African Network Operators Group, is also mm. capacity building. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you are pretty much somebody who, um, who has a passion and a talent for empowering others. Yeah. So you were telling me about the work that you're doing at uh, the Internet Society. As you said, you're in capacity building. And how is that going? Is that something that's ongoing? And 
And is the internet society making an impact in society through the initiatives that they have? I would like to say yes, through the initiatives. I'm an example of one of their initiatives. Okay. Which is... <laughs> yeah. That answer is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I've been awarded two fellowships by the Internet Society, which is to the AFPIF and then the Internet Engineering Task Force. So I could say yes. And I, I could say I have benefited so much from these fellowships, which goes to show that their work is very impactful in our communities. Mm -hmm. And um, what's quite fascinating or what makes me so happy is for the course that I get to teach all the facilitators are from Africa. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's all, good. Yeah. We are all from Africa. And recently, we, they brought the course. Uh, I mean, they made the course global. Mm -hmm. Now we have students from everywhere. And all the facilitators are from Africa. And mm -hmm. that makes me so happy. Every time I get to say that, I get so happy. Uh, <laughs> My uh, interaction with Internet Society and uh, the larger group is it seems that there's quite a passion for technology professionals in Africa to impart the knowledge as well. Why is that? And I find that a whole lot more with the African professionals than anything else. Maybe I haven't, you know, um, I mean, I've been quite exposed. Why do you think that there's this deep desire between African professionals in technology to also be teachers? I'll, well, I'll answer this based on my experience and my mm -hmm. opinion. I think that's the best way to learn. Okay. I also think the professionals are the ones that are experiencing what's happening. They know mm -hmm. what's around. They know the best practices. It's different from if you go to someone at one a lecturer in college and um, he's giving you these best practices, but he's not actually practicing them himself. So how sure are you they actually work? <laughs> yeah. So um, I think the best way to deliver anything is if you get the actual professionals doing it themselves, then you will know for sure, yes, you've achieved what you wanted. So do you think that there's a model there in how we teach technology skills in the future? Not exactly. I think now what we are now embracing when it comes to technology is blended learning. Like you say, okay. someone will choose to go online and self-teach themselves Python or self-teach themselves something else or they could go to a technology hub and learn from guys that are at the hub, or they could attend a course with Refactory, um, or they could wait and attend things like Afnob or learn on the job. All this is blended learning, and I think that's the kind of learning that has been embraced when it comes to technology. And mm -hmm. it's not just in Africa, it's everywhere. Yeah, I totally agree with you. My background is in electronic engineering. And yeah. when I was a kid, my whole life, I knew I wanted to do this. Uh, you put an electronic device in front of me and I light up. So, um, and I was building transistor radios from when I was a kid. And this is all I wanted to do. I spent my holidays at the library 
reading up data sheets and stuff like that. So I was the ultimate geek in a way, but um, it was just a passion, right? And I was just very curious about it. But I went and I learned um, not only through practice, but also academically. So just to touch on the blended learning, and if I can look yeah. at my, my life example, is that yeah. I learned by curiosity mostly. And then yeah. my curiosity prompted me to go and learn formally the things that I was reading about. And yeah. then I got an academic degree in electronic engineering. And throughout my studies in electronic engineering, I love electronic engineering, still do. Uh, but we had all these assignments where you had to program. So like, yeah. I think the first program I probably wrote was like MATLAB. So I don't know if you know MATLAB, it's a mathematical modeling uh, uh, platform. And yeah. it's a bit of a language on its own. It's based a little bit on C, but it was amazing. I could model all these things. I could model all these mathematical equations in MATLAB. I could draw graphs, 3D graphs. It was awesome. So. By the time I graduated, I was just like, wow, I love programming. And so I never really ever had a formal uh, computer uh, or, or programming uh, course. I've never taken a formal course in any programming language. And I found myself, I can program in almost any language you throw at me, but the curiosity aspect of it is what got me into programming. Uh, later on, I did a postgrad in computer uh, engineering. But, you know, if you study an engineering degree, they don't really teach you to program. They give you some mathematical equations and you must go like figure it out or write a thesis about it. Engineering for me was maths all the way, but I loved how I could program and I could model it. And, and my ability, my curiosity about things and being able to model things is what got me into programming because yeah. you can just think up anything and you can have a version of it in code and that speaks to the whole blended learning approach because even when you go into the workplace um, i've had the privilege in previous companies where i worked where i was the architect so i could think of yeah. solutions you know and lo and behold a lot of the code that i wrote on holiday because i had a brainwave ends up being code that's running infrastructure in some companies. Right. A lot of my code is based on very old code that I wrote before. And so that's been the fascinating part uh, about blended learning is that yeah. you can actually think up of real world solutions without the pressure of having to deliver it for a boss. And then that yeah. real world solution can actually be a solution that has an impact on the world. You know, and that's how the Googles are created. The Facebooks were created. It's people who had a curiosity and then they went and they tried it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know how, how you can teach that. And I think that the people who benefit the most are the people who end up working at Google because Google ends up having these courses or these, these vocations that you can follow. But at its core, nothing beats being with an engineer who developed some technology that has impacted the world. That amount of learning is not something you can bottle and put in a textbook, you know. So for me, that's always fascinating. Yeah, so I think that's where we are heading. And the sooner everybody gets to embrace it, then the world will then move faster, you know. We'll not have people relying on teachers or whoever they find around to 
provide what they're looking for. And also, I, I also think it comes with a bit of proactiveness, like yeah. you said, and curiosity. Yeah. yeah. And, and what you also said, you can't really teach. I was actually wondering, I was having a chat with someone and we were talking about uh, proactiveness and how do you teach someone to be proactive? And yeah. I still don't have a concrete answer for that up to now. I don't know if you do. Yeah, I mean, so for me, when somebody tells me, oh, I want to learn how to code, I always ask them, is it something that you love? Are you prepared yeah. to spend 10 hours trying yeah. to sort, solve something? Because that's, you know, so that's what programmers do. Um, yeah. If you're a golfer, you have to be prepared to spend your entire Saturday and Sunday at the golf course perfecting your swing, perfecting your putt. Right, you 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 will not be a good golfer if you spent an hour uh, yes. at the golf course. Yes, you, know, you have to book out your whole day, and and yeah. so that's it. So for me, the recipe is: is this something that you would book out your whole day to do? And yeah. if you can book out your whole day, then I don't need to teach you anything. Then you can just go out there, figure it out. I'll point you in the right direction, and yeah. then if you spend ten hours like banging your head against the wall to solve something guess what when that problem comes your way you will never struggle with it again so for me i always say one of the things that i appreciate a lot is experience and first of all i'm a believer in the ten thousand hour rule which is something that Malcolm Gladwell touches on in his book about how the greatest people in the world, he touches on Mark Zuckerberg, on Bill Gates, that by the time Facebook was created or or Microsoft was created, they had spent 10,000 hours perfecting their craft. In this case, it's software engineering or software development. So I'm a believer in that as well. I do believe that 10,000 hours is kind of a good measure of how experienced you are at your craft. And it doesn't have to be software, it can be anything. And I even worked out that if in an eight hour day, uh, 10,000 hours is the equivalent of five years. So if you have five years of experience, you are a novice in your craft. So I also believe that you should figure out what you're good at and what you love and then spend the rest of your life doing just that. You know, Michael Jordan figured out basketball was it, and he spent his, the rest of his yeah. life perfecting yeah. being a basketball player. Yeah, so for me, I think that you've got to be focused on your craft and just spend a lot yeah. of time perfecting it. If you love it, then the curiosity will come naturally, and it won't be anything that anyone will teach you. But over time, your experience will allow you to solve problems or to come up with new solutions that you yourself don't even know how you came up with it. And the difference between someone who's experienced and someone who isn't is when when we both face the uncertainty, the person who's not experienced uh, will not even know where to begin. Where someone who's experienced, even though it's uncertain, he at least has a few alternatives that he can try. And based on that person's experience, that person can say, well, I know that from the things that I've tried, these will not work. Then you narrow down what would be a possible solution, you know? And it's kind of a survivalist thing as well. For me, um, 
I'm a big believer in experience. I'm not a believer in telling people that they must be experienced before they, they get hired for a job. Yeah. You, you give anyone a chance and you let that person figure things out as they go along. Um, and it is not something that you teach, but I think that work ethic is something that should be instilled. And I yeah. find that that's something that lacks with a lot of people is the work ethic, you know, the ability to say, I'm going to spend the whole day playing golf. If you cannot, then don't expect to be good at it. Yeah, you that's know. true. Yeah. I, I don't believe in talent. I believe talent is absolutely necessary, but I don't believe in talent in being the only recipe for success. I believe that um, the person who's talented and then who practices their talent is the one who's going to be successful. Of course, being talented means that you can perform a little bit better than everybody else, but yeah. it's not enough to be more successful than the next person. Great, Johnny. That's yeah. So that's my little thought on that. And it's something that I'm passionate about and I think about it all the time. <laughs> it actually makes so much sense. It now does for me, like really does. Thank you. Yeah, but I mean, what are your thoughts? I think I went off a bit there, but is that something that, that you've... No, you've... like, no, it completely makes sense to me. The whole, uh, is this something you're interested in and are you willing to give it the time? And with it, the curiosity then just falls in naturally. Yeah, that's quite something. Yeah. But I mean, you've touched on that. You've had the curiosity you, so much that you did not take a holiday because you're so curious about wanting to be a software engineer that you went and you did a whole diploma before yeah. you even got into university. That's crazy. Most yeah. kids are happy to, to have been admitted into university and then they go and have a holiday and they enjoy their summer. And you, you were like, yeah, so, so... That's crazy. Where, where does that drive come from? Yeah, I think, well, exactly like you say, the interest and the love for technology and what you can achieve with it. Yeah. So do you have any aspirations for the future? What Do you have some goals that you still uh, would like to achieve that you can share publicly? I just have the two projects that I am working on. So I have a a youth in tech forum for mm -hmm. Africa that I started working on last year mm -hmm. and we were going to launch it in March in Benin during the worker in conference but because of the pandemic we weren't successful with doing that but I'm hoping mm -hmm. Or when things clear out, we'll still be able to move forward. Is this something that the Youth in Tech Initiative, is this something that you have personally founded in your personal yeah. capacity? Yes. Okay. When I thought about it and then I figured I also need a youth, I need an eye of the youth because very soon I won't be a youth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my time as a youth is dying out and I needed an active youth as well. So I brought in... A lady I met in Senegal while I attended the African Internet Summit there and um, I shared the idea with her. She was very excited about it. So we said to like move forward and like get right into it. The other is almost ish what you're doing, but this is mostly women and it's called bragging rights. Mm -hmm. 
Tell me about uh, that. And the reason why I called it bragging rights is women find it so difficult to brag about themselves. So it's yeah. very difficult for us, for me to come and start um, saying, oh, I did this and I did that. Then I managed to get into this and I'm now a big person here. It's very difficult for women to do that. For some reason, they're very modest when it comes to um, to speaking about what they've been able to achieve or do within our within society. So mm-hmm. I thought bragging rights would be a very good platform for women to brag about other women. That's and brilliant. I decided I don't want this to be only Uganda. I always try to think farther. So I thought, let's do Africa. Mm-hmm. I reached out to a few friends from like different parts of Africa, some of whom you know, and I pitched the idea to them and they're like, yes, I think that's a brilliant idea. And I went and registered um, a domain and bragging rights to Africa. I went and registered it right away. And then I came and said to them, guys, I just registered bragging rights to Africa. So now there is no turning back. So those are two things that I am trying to focus on. I know we will go so far when it comes to bragging rights as well as the Youth in Tech Forum for Africa because if you've noticed most of these events that you and I get to attend, there's a lot of concentration on women only. And okay, women and actual existing professionals like in a whole and very lot less talk on the youth who are our future leaders. So I thought it would be nice to like get them involved, especially with the fact that now you, we want them involved in the IETF and what's it, what we, because I mean, if we're going to uh, write standards, we want to also be involved in making these standards and these standards, and we can only be involved. I mean, we can only be part of making these standards if we show up and get involved in it. So that's also one of the reasons why I chose, I mean, I chose to say, let's do the, let's work with the youth because it's easy to get guys who are like, get guys from the grassroots and then build them up and see the different things that they can do, you know? That's brilliant. Of course, uh, one of the issues that I see with a lot of organizations in Africa is uh, the succession plan, you know? So, so yeah. I, I like that you have a youth-focused initiative, which kind of speaks to a succession plan because you, you are thinking about the future and you are kind of building people up to take up mantles for the future. About bragging rights, why do you feel that there's a need to have a platform uh, for women to speak about their achievements or to have a spotlight on women? It's very difficult for women to be able to like show off themselves. Why is that? Um, I'm a woman as well. And I, I, I don't know why they find it so hard to do it. Personally, I also find it very hard to do. I think I was having a conversation with you the other week and I was, and I, I don't know what I say to you. And you say, you see that modesty is one of the reasons why we need to have this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why we always find, and I won't say it's about being shy at all. It's not because we have very bold women out there. But when it mm-hmm. comes to showing off what they've done and showing off how far they've gone, it, it just ends there. It ends, it ends there. So 
let's have somebody else do that for you and let the whole world get to know what you're doing and probably maybe this can push you further and for now because tech is what i know i decided let's focus on, on on technology like women in technology that are doing great stuff in our communities and um, how are you going to showcase them or how are you going to what what is the platform in which you're going to to showcase this talent amongst women uh we're starting off with blogs okay like writing a blog then from that move our content from the blogs to our website uh and then from that hold events invite other people to take part as well i see us participating in one of the eva igf one of those one of them igfs or even one of the african internet summits that's where i see us once we start off then we will know where we are heading but for now that's the vision, that's where i see us ending up and i see so many women growing from our platform and also so many women being showcased and known out there and it would be nice for a woman to be picked based on a story that has been told of our platform it would be nice to hear somebody say yes yeah, so um our next uh, city is someone that we saw showcased on bruggingrights.africa mm-hmm. yeah okay when i looked at what you're doing i was like this in a way is partly what uh, we want to do what you're doing is showcasing us and and what mm-hmm. we are doing and mm-hmm. yeah so it's almost like what you're doing but this time we're focusing just on women I love it and and I think that that's an amazing platform and a great idea and absolutely I really think that we live in such a uh, how do I put it it's not even a, a bit of a binary world and the world is not binary and in the binary world when we ask someone name a business leader and a bunch of men's names come out of people's mouths and for me it's like hmm but you know uh, our mind always shifts towards the men and and i feel like men have gotten this how do i put it almost a, a bit of an um um there there's a word for it but it's a platform that we've gotten without having to actually work for it without actually saying hey uh this is who i am we we yeah. don't even need to come with our cv we just say i'm a man make me your leader that's it <laughs> you know exactly and i think that that comes from a, a bit of a prehistoric outset i'm a believer in evolution and part of of our evolution and i kind of subscribe to darwin's idea of survival of the fittest where we are still wired to look for the fittest person and then giving power to that person so whatever fitness means if they're the richest person or if they're the better looking person or if they're the tallest person or if they're the strongest person physically that's yeah. the person we're going to want to be the leader if they're the tallest person that's the person we're going to want to be the leader exactly. which is so stupid <laughs> you know which um, be the case yeah so we are very focused on appearance and don't let me even get started on racial appearance right So we just look at appearances and then we say that's the smartest guy that's the leader that's the person who knows best and then we go into the corporate world where people are academics 
and then we apply this primitive way of thinking and I'm just like, you know, there's no way. I mean, I spend my day writing complex software and it baffles my mind that when I'm taking a break from applying myself to such intelligence, I'm going to make decisions uh, based on primitive instincts, you know? So that's a long way for me to say that constantly picking men as leaders is a primitive instinct and, and we need to move away from that. And if it means that we create platform for women alone, we definitely should. I'm tired yeah. of seeing men in power, to be honest. It's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I want like a lot of female presidents in Africa. Um, I actually don't even believe in the concept of presidents and democracy. I think we need to yeah. find a different way to govern ourselves. But yeah. I love what women bring to the table. And I love what diversity brings to the table. I've worked in diverse teams. And by diversity, I'm, I'm really talking beyond skin color and, and, and sex. I'm really talking about just diversity in skills, in mindsets, in backgrounds. It's beautiful, you know. Yeah. And with my travels around the world, around Africa, I'm blessed to have met you and a lot of people who are so diverse in their thinking. And having this conversation with you is empowering to me because I get to learn from you so much more. And this is what the new world has, you know, the new world of interconnectedness of the internet brings is that I can call my friend in Uganda and we can have a conversation for an hour. <laughs> and that's going to be the most valuable hour of my day because the ability to know other perspectives is what allows you to actually grow and evolve as a person. So yeah, anyway, I can go on. <laughs> the stuff that you're doing is, is literally changing the world. So we watch all these movies about people who wanna run software companies because they wanna change the world and that's everybody's tagline, I wanna change the world. But yeah. you're changing the world and, and you, don't need, you don't need the tagline to do it. You know, the, the future for Africa is technology. And if we get that right, then we will solve a lot of the, the problems or the issues or the challenges that we have in Africa. And me as an engineer, I wake up every day trying to solve one problem or the next. For me, it's an honor to be able to solve at least just a tiny little problem in my country, on yeah. my continent, in the world. And that, that's what I get fulfillment from. So when I see someone else who does it every day and who does it well, and you guys have been able to do it amidst COVID-19, that's impressive, you know? So definitely, like I'm more honored to have you here than anything else. Wow, this has been nice. And I've enjoyed my conversation. As much as you say you've learned some things from me, I, I've learned quite a bit from you as well. Awesome, brilliant. Cool, thank you. Thank you so much. Actually, it's been a pleasure being here. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. cool. Thank yeah. you. Thank good you luck. for being my guest. Thank you too. Uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. No, good luck to you and all the best and keep up the good work. I'm absolutely inspired and thank you for taking the time to chat to me. Thank you for listening. 
And please subscribe on all major platforms. Search DevBox, that is D-E-V-B-O-K-S, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Also find DevBox on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.